We are looking this year, the theme is rest and revival. My brother-in-law and brothers were giving me a hard time about that uh, title, that theme for the year. Um, They had a lot of fun razzing me about it, Uh, you know, but the idea of resting and and they were running with that. Uh, We're going to rest, we're going to seek and have revival and this is really the theme and ideas, not just so that we can sit back and have nothing to do. Uh, really, the, the, the spiritual rest comes by resting in God. It's not, it's not that you're just not doing anything, that you're just sitting around. We know there's still going to be plenty to do, even though our church schedule, we've tried to lighten a little bit with regards to just the weekly type activities that we've tried to adjust for this coming year. Uh, there's still things that we've got to do. But finding rest in God and allowing him to renew our strength, Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, I'm not preaching on that this morning, but I want to talk to you just really about the idea of revival in our lives, the, the uh, seeing God come and do a work in our heart and you know, this, this concept, the, the word itself, revival, doesn't necessarily appear in our Bible in the form like we, we use it here. But that idea, the concept of God calling his people to a renewed relationship with him is all through the Bible. We see it over and over and over again that God looks to and he calls his people to a fresh and renewed, intimate and passionate and powerful relationship with God. As much as one might wish that at the moment of salvation that fire would be ignited in our hearts and it would never fade, that's not reality. The reality is, is that a fire that's unattended will go out. That no matter how brightly I burned for God last year, I've got to do some work, some tending, some stirring of those coals if I want to burn for God this year. That's the reality of it. We can't just say, oh boy, yeah, I'm excited about the things of God today and and expect that that excitement and that, that zeal is going to continue for the rest of our lives. It takes some tending to. It takes some continual Maintenance. Sometimes we have to be renewed in our vision, renewed in our faith, renewed in our relationship with God. If we were honest this morning with those around us, we would have to state that we have found ourselves in that place of cold complacency on this spiritual journey more than once. And we need to ask God for revival. I want to just talk to you about this. The, the, I don't know, this morning I struggled with what to call it. I don't know if you want to call it the road to revival, the journey of revival, the, the, the pattern of revival, the, the, the process that goes through. The, the, the idea this morning is that in our Christian lives, there's, there's stops. There's uh, places along the road that we get distracted or sidetracked or uh, off track and we have to get renewed. We have to get back on focus. Last week, you know, we drove down to Branson. We made it there in 17 hours. Drove straight through. Outside of stopping for gas and the the shortest of bathroom breaks, we drove straight through. And we made it back in 19 hours. 
there was a wreck at one section of the road, and, and the traffic was completely stopped. There was no moving. I actually put it in park, turned the car off, and said, somebody tell me when traffic starts moving, and I just crashed right there. <laughs> I was glad it wasn't stop and go, because then you have to stay alert. You know, I'm like, well, if, hey, if it stopped, I'm, I'm sleeping. So I just, I just fell asleep. So we lost a bunch of time there. Um, but, you know, that, that trip, when you're on that journey, when you're heading down the road, there's some things along the trail that they try and put up these bright billboards and these attractions, and they put them out there. I was talking to Mary about it and say, you know, I don't know if ever in my life I have been motivated to stop somewhere because I saw a billboard. I, I was just wondering, like, how effective are they? They've paid a lot of money to have these billboards, and at least for me personally, I have never in my life stopped because I saw a billboard. Now, if I was already planning to stop for dinner, I might have saw a billboard and said, well, yeah, I want to stop for dinner. Okay, there's a McDonald's up here. Yeah, I'm going to stop there. Or, or if I was planning to go, you know, to Lambert's, then, then maybe, you know, I'm headed that way. I'll see the billboards and know it's at this exit or something. But I, I've never been motivated or moved by a, a billboard. But, you know, they're up there to draw attention. They're up there hoping that you'll say, well, I don't have to get there so fast. I'm going to pull off here and check this out. We're not in a hurry. We're just going to catch the, the, the stuff along the side of the road. You know, in our Christian life, there's some things that distract us. There's some things that pull us off the, the trail, uh, that sidetrack us. And we're motivated by different causes or purposes or reasons for our stop. Sometimes as we're traveling there, we're motivated because uh, one of the passengers said, listen, I can't wait any longer. You need to find a place to stop. <laughs> uh, you, we're going to be pulling over on the side of the road if we don't find an exit soon. You know, we were motivated to find a location to pull over. Sometimes your stomach growling motivates you to pull over and catch a, a fast food restaurant or even the car running out of gas. We, hey, we got to stop and get some gas. So there's different things that motivate you to stop along the road. So I'm going to talk this morning about that motivation that comes into our lives and the, apply it spiritually to us with regards to this idea of revival and the process and what happens. And, and uh, this last week, uh, our sleep schedule was all out of whack. It's still out of whack uh, with driving through the night both directions. Uh, you know, we left Friday at 6 o'clock in the evening and drove through the night, got home at 1 o'clock at lunchtime yesterday. Um, you know, so anyways, on Wednesday morning, I woke up about an hour, hour and a half before my alarm went off and I was just awake and I'm like, well, I'm awake. I'm going to get something done. And I sat down and just began to ponder and think about revival. And I began to think about the process in the book of Judges where you have what they call the state of apostasy and, and the, uh, track that the judges took where in, you know, there's, I believe seven cycles in the book of judges where God calls his people back to him and they come back, they get on fire for God and then they get distracted and they fall into sin and they get away from God and God has to judge his people. He brings judgment into their life and then they call out to him and repent and come back to God and they're on fire for God. But that process goes, I think seven times in the book of judges. I was pondering that and thinking about that with regards to these stops. And God gave me the outline I'm going to give you uh, on Wednesday morning in my devotions. I'm going to give you this, tonight, this, this morning and hopefully not be too wordy. I know I'm kind of running in several directions, but I, I hope it resonates in your heart and mind as it did with me. 
First of all, I want you to see the beginning of this process, the start, is that we're motivated by light and men are drawn to Christ. Motivated by light, men are drawn to Christ. This is a pattern we see. You can turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1. We'll be there in just a moment. But the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. He said, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We preach Jesus Christ. The light of the glorious gospel shines in the hearts of men. We're talking about the beginning of this process. God's light shines out into this world, and the lost are drawn to him. Are you thankful this morning for the day the light of the gospel was revealed unto you and you trusted Jesus Christ? Amen. God's light was shown into our heart and dispelled darkness and pushed it away. And we saw the truth of the gospel of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and how we know that Jesus died for us, forgave us, and we put our faith and trust in him. What a glorious truth. We came into that knowledge of that truth, the the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and we trusted him and Nothing that we could do, it's all him. And we praise God for that day when we were drawn to Christ, when that light was shown into our lives. We talked about this light some on our Christmas Eve service, and I'm not going to re-preach that. But I want you to see in John chapter number four, we see, first of all, the purpose for the light in John chapter one. Sorry, John chapter one, verse four. John chapter one, verse four, he says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. I want you to understand, beloved, that outside of Jesus Christ, there is no life. We are given life through Jesus Christ. Men are born into this world and are born spiritually dead. But through Jesus Christ, we're made spiritually alive. And outside of Jesus Christ, outside the light that Christ brings, men are spiritually dead and without hope. The power of the light is seen in verse number 5 and John 1, 5, he says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. We know that, that the light of the gospel has the power to dispel darkness. To be a light to our path, and a light, uh, help me out, what's the verse? The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. See, I said it backwards, and then I got, <laughs> my mind went, uh, but that, Light shines for us and allows us to be able to see what we need to see and where we need to go. It dispels darkness. We see the proclamation or the proclaimer of the light in verses 7 and 8. He says, The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Beloved, we're not the light. But as we live our lives, the light shines through us. We bear witness of that light. It's our responsibility to be proclaimers of the light. To allow the world to see this light. We see in verses 9 through 12, the partakers of the light. As we talk about the light of Jesus Christ being lifted up and and men being drawn. He says, that was the true light. Verse number 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. What did he say there in verse number 12? But as many as received him, 
To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The partakers of the light. Those that saw the light and decided to believe. I'm thankful for the time that I saw the light. And I believed on Jesus Christ. Accepted his payment as covering for my sin. That's when the journey began for me. That's when I put it in drive and started heading that direction. That's when the Christian life and this, this work, this work that God's doing, the Bible says that he that hath begun a good work in you is going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's, that work began in my heart, salvation, when I accepted the light of Jesus Christ. And I hope if you're here this morning that you've accepted Jesus Christ, total and complete payment is covering for your sin. That that light of the gospel is shown true in your heart. And, and there's no doubt in your mind that Jesus has done it for you. I hope that that's true. And that you're on this journey, this Christian walk. And as I said in the introduction, uh, boy, wouldn't it be nice if once that light was lit and the fire was, was stoked and, and turned on, that the fire would go and just last forever? But it doesn't. It tends to wane. It tends to falter. The fire tends to go out. So what happens, beloved, is we are motivated by lust and we're carnful, carnal. Listen, a lust is anything that we does have a strong desire for. It doesn't have to be in the aspect or area of morality. It can be, you can have a, a, a strong desire or a real uh, lust for Many, many different things in this world. Might be food. You just really enjoy eating. Might be cars. You just really enjoy a nice car. Uh, You know, it might be, for the younger generation, some games. You know, some some, uh, video games. Or, you know, you just got an overriding strong desire to be involved in or participate in those things. And... Very fitting with Sunday school this morning, the idea of overcoming temptation. Verses that I had written or put here in my notes. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. It's our own desire that causes us to be drawn away. It's our own desire that causes us to... to, We were on this path. We we were uh, headed towards God. We were on fire for God. But we kind of got distracted. The overriding goal and ambition of really accomplishing things for Jesus Christ got a little bit put on the back burner because we got a little busy with this or with that. That's what happens to God's people. There's a time when we get distracted. We begin to substitute his presence and his power in our lives for other things. Can I tell you this morning that men do not go from a place of service and dedication to sin and devastation in one step? How many of you here are familiar with the term backsliding? Is this something, maybe I should go the other way? Are you maybe some that don't know what backsliding is? The idea is if I was right here for God and, and, and serving God and on fire for God... And then over a little bit of time, I decided, you know what? I just don't think it's that important to read my Bible every day. And I give that up. I, I, the term is backslid a little bit. I kind of, because I wasn't pushing forward, I tended to slide back. 
<laughs> you ever try and walk up a hill covered with snow and ice? You know, it's this, this constant pressure, and you got you got to get grip and, and keep walking. If you, if you just stand still, you tend to go back, and that's what happens in the Christian life. We begin to backslide, and backsliding is a slow, gradual process. So backsliding is what? A slow, gradual process. It happens over time. It doesn't usually just happen in one, one day. You don't come into church and say, oh, man. What happened to Eli? He used to be in church all the time. Now he's not in church today. Oh, well, this week he just decided he's not going to go to church anymore. No, you see, he started that process of backsliding a long time ago when he stopped reading his Bible. When he stopped spending time in prayer. When he stopped fellowshipping with believers and being encouraged in the things of God. When he allowed his distractions to overtake his, his life and his thought processes and, and put God on a back burner. Then all of a sudden you, you see him, he's out of church and, and he's out in the world like you're like, I thought he was a Christian. You see, the, the, the process of going from uh, that idea of service to sin takes a little bit of time. But it's because we allow our own desires when we're drawn away and enticed of our own lust. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. You know, beloved, every one of us is possible for us to fall. Samson, the strongest man in the Bible, he fell. He started hanging out with the wrong crowd. He was down there in Timnath. We didn't have any business being. He was hanging around with and associating with the wrong kind of ladies. And, and he was drawn away and enticed by his own lust. Ultimately, he fell because he allowed that backsliding process to just continue. David, we know that man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the king of Israel, he fell because he backslid. Peter, one of the boldest witnesses there are in the word of God, we know he fell. So any one of us can fall and, and accept for and by the grace of God and his power in our lives, we will fall. But we don't have to if we don't allow the backsliding to continue. The idea of revival is, yes, okay, I used to be right here. I used to read my Bible. I used to be a witness. I used to be faithful to every service at church. I used to never miss, a, to miss one. But now uh, I'm back here and my Bible reading has been given up. And I'm back here and my prayer time has been given up. And I'm back here because I no longer am a witness. And I slid back here because I've, I've given up any thought about pursuing God and listening to preaching during the week or, or singing the hymns and the songs of the faith. And, and you know, it, I very rarely think about God anymore and oh man no I spend all my time with people in the world instead of people in the church and and, and pretty soon we're all we're all the way back here but what we need is we need revival in our hearts we need God to wake us up to the reality of where we're at and that's what the theme of this year is is that God would stir us as a church give us a picture of where we're at and say, man, I don't want to be back here. I want to be all the way up here where I was on fire for God and seeing God do great things in my life. So what I want you to understand is that motivated by love, God chastens the backslidden believer. 
Motivated by love, God chastens us. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Beloved, God disciplines his children so that they might return to him. Discipline handled correctly, chastening done right is for correction, not judgment. You see, I know sometimes we think about God as being, you know, there with that uh, hammer, the lightning. Man, I'm going to get struck with lightning because I did wrong. The chastening hand of God is for correction. You see, the judge, the judge punishes to uphold the law. But a father chastens for protection, for correction, to help him. That right there is a bit of wisdom for you parents. If the only reason you're disciplining is to uphold the law because they broke your law in the house, whatever that might be, you're going to provoke your children to wrath. The purpose of discipline is for correction, for protection, for instruction. My son's running with a pair of scissors. Hey, son, we don't run with scissors. Because we know that if he runs with scissors, it's very likely he's going to fall and impale himself. So if he disobeys that, I've, I've laid down the law, he's disobeyed that. I'm not mad because he disobeyed. I understand that if he does that, he's going to be hurt. And I need to correct that for his protection. Ultimately, for his improvement, for his better. And that's what God does for us. God's discipline in our lives, God's chastening hand is for our correction, for our protection, to help us. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6, he says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourges every son whom he receiveth. Listen, we ought to be glad that God loves us enough to chasten us. A lot of times children, they look at a, a father or a mother who does some chastening as an evil parent. They look at it and say, man, my dad, uh, he doesn't let me do anything. And my mom, boy, she's always on my case about this or about that. More than once, we've had children in our home that have looked at my kids and said, I wish my parents cared enough to tell me what to do. My, my parents don't care. They don't care where I'm at. They don't care what I do. They don't, as long as I'm not bothering them, they don't care. We ought to be thankful for a heavenly father that's looking out for us. That cares enough when we, we're backslidden away from him, when our own lusts have pulled us away from God, that he says, hey, it's time to get back. But God chastens those whom he loves. You know, there's many kings in Israel that committed adultery. There's many kings in Israel that had somebody murdered. But God chastened David. Why? Because he was one of his. Chastening. 
chastening, beloved, is for our profit. Hebrews 12, verse number 10. He says, For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. That's why we chasten our children, it's for their profit. It's not for our good, but for their profit. And you know, if kids are honest, we've got all these young people down here this morning, if they were honest, they know their parents chasing them for their profit. They know it's for their good. They don't like it. No chastening seemeth joyous, <laughs> that the Bible says, right? Yeah. Like the uh, child who was, you know, there and dad said, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And he said, give me that belt. We'll see who it's going to hurt more. <laughs> yeah. You know, they have those belts that uh, they, they, they flip. They're two-sided. You got a brown on one side and cordovan on the other. One guy said, yeah, my dad had a, a belt that flipped. One side was brown. The other side was a belt or a, a paddle. <laughs> Need some chastening sometimes. But parents that love their children do that. That's what God does. And he does it for our profit. I want you to see what happens because motivated by loss, we cry out to him. You see, God brings things into our life. He brings chastening into our life. He, he withholds. The Bible describes that early in the latter rain in the book of Amos. He withholds things in our life that we might look to him. Have you ever been there? You ever been at that place where God had to withhold something to get you to stop and pause and say, okay, Lord, I understand. I realize that I've been going the wrong direction. Sometimes God withholds his blessing in our lives that we might cry out to him. In the book of Amos, verse chapter 4, basically the entirety of the chapter. But let me just read you a few of these verses. He says, and also I have withheld the rain from you. When there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon the other city. And one piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And he goes on, and he says, I have smitten you with blisterings and mildew and your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palm worm devoured them, yet ye have not returned unto me. I have sent you pestilence after the matter of Egypt and your young men have I slain by the sword and taken away your horses and I've made it to stink in your camps and yet ye have not returned unto me. Over and over again, God's saying, boy, how much do I have to withhold for you to pause and stop and say, oh, yeah, God's in control, not me. Oh, God, there's got to be a place sometime that we, we get, say, okay, Lord, I surrender. Whatever, yes, Lord, I understand. You, you don't have to keep chastening me. You don't have to keep punishing me. You don't have to keep withholding your blessing. Lord, I want your blessing on my life. I want your blessing on my family. I need your blessing on my kids. Lord, please send the rain. We got to cry out to him. Oh, it's his love that causes him to chasten us. But often it's not until we experience loss that we turn to him. But we could turn back at any time. 
We could walk through the Bible today and give illustration after illustration of time in, the, in God's, the children of God, how they got away from him and he sent them into bondage. He sent them, withheld the rain, caused famine, and they had to turn back to him. Over and over and over again, we see that. What is God withholding from you today? that you might turn back to him. Would we, like the prodigal of old, come to ourselves, come to our senses? Or do we have to get all the way down to the bottom where there's nothing left? How far down do we have to go? How low do we have to get before we look up? This process of revival where God is calling us back to him, we can turn back at any time. But some people have to get all the way to the bottom. I want you to see it's God's motivated by long suffering. And he calls us back to him. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4, he says, O despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. Boy, if there's anything in this world that shows the goodness of God, it's his long suffering. It's his patience with us as his creation. It's amazing to me how as God's creation, he allows us to be so defiant. He allows us to go our own way and to reject his will and to do what we want to do and doesn't just take us out. But God's long-suffering. Have you experienced the goodness of God? Have you seen God's long-suffering, his patience with you? I know I have. I'm so thankful for God's patience with me. That he's been long-suffering with me. You know, if God had the kind of patience with me that I have with others, he would have gave up on me a long time ago. But God's long-suffering. One of the greatest pictures of his long-suffering is the time that God gave the people of uh, Noah's day to repent. 120 years he preached and worked and built that. And they could have turned to God any time. But they didn't and they were judged. You know the old songs, He's Still Working on Me. That song, uh, he, he Didn't Throw the Clay Away. I'm thankful for those songs. It's just the story of the fact that God's been patient. He's been long-suffering. He's still working on me. He's just chipping away, getting some of those rough spots out. Slowly I can yield to him, little by little. But we see, beloved, that when we're motivated by lowliness, we are contrite. A familiar verse with regards to revival is Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall, what is it? Humble themselves. Humble themselves. When we get to the place where we can humble ourselves and be lowly, then God, in his mercy, revives and restores us. If we want to see God come and renew, heal, heal our land, heal our life, Forgive our sin. We've got to humble ourselves. The first thing that God asks of his people when they're going to hear from heaven 
is that they humble themselves. Are you humbled today? Humbled by God's goodness in your life? Humbled by his long-suffering, his patience, how long he has allowed you to continue down the wrong path? How long before you're going to turn back to him? You know the story of David and the prophet. It was a year later when the prophet was addressing David and gave him that illustration of the ewe, little ewe lamb that was stolen. And David, in righteous indignation, describes and, and pronounces judgment on that man. And the prophet looked at him and said, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. Is God putting a, his finger on your heart today and saying, Thou art the man? How long are you going to run your own way and do your own thing? Or are you going to humble yourself before God? And allow him to bring you back and restore you to bring revival in your heart. Listen, somebody that's humble doesn't have a problem admitting where they've been wrong. If you find it hard to admit you've been wrong, you've got some work in this area. First John 1, 8, 9, and 10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin... You deceive yourself. We've all got some things we need to be willing to turn over to God. We need to acknowledge them as what they are and say, Lord, help me. Lord, revive me. We're talking about this process, this journey, this place as we get off track and God has to call us back. Here's what happens with revival. We're right here. We come to Jesus Christ. The light of the glorious gospel shines into our heart and we trust him. That light is lit in our heart. I'm, I'm almost done. We'll be out of here in four minutes. All right. I want to tie this together. We're talking about the idea of revival, and as a church, we want to see revival take place in our hearts and in our lives and in our church. We're all at different places. Are you right here? You're on fire for God, and you say, by God's witness right now, I'm on fire, man, I'm burning as bright as I ever have. Or maybe you've backslidden some. By your own lust, you've been drawn away and enticed, and you're kind of pursuing other things, and you're not really all that you know God wants you to be. You're backslidden some. Maybe God has brought some, some lack in your life. Maybe there's some things that you've lost because God's trying to get your attention. God's trying to call you back to him. Maybe we need to humble ourselves. Maybe you're back and you're ready to be humbled. And you're saying, Lord, I'm ready. I, I, I need revival. And I want, to be, I want to be drawn back to you, Lord. I want to be revived in my heart and my spirit. I want that fervency back, Lord. I want you to see the last stop. What happens when we're revived is the light shines again. And other men are drawn to Jesus. Other men are drawn to Jesus. You see here, the light shone through somebody else and we were drawn to Christ. Many times churches talk about revival and they, they look at it as an evangelistic meeting because the byproduct 
of people getting on fire for God is that the light of Jesus Christ shines out into the world and men are drawn to Christ. So we have come full circle. Whether you're here or somewhere else on, the, on this journey somewhere, but when we get back on fire for God, we are now in this place where the people see the light of Jesus Christ and they are drawn to him. So once again, where we started, we're motivated by light. Men are drawn to Christ. And that light is shining through our lives. John 12, 32 says, And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. When we're living as we should, in the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, others are drawn to him. The question I have for you this morning is, where do you see yourself in this process? Where are you at? Where's our church at as a whole? Are we doing all we should? Have we let, let things down? Have we fallen away a little bit? Got a little distracted? Are we on as fire for God as we have been in the past or should be today? I don't know where you are personally. I know as a church, as a whole, we need revival. We need to see God draw us back to him in a renewed, powerful, and passionate relationship with our Lord and Savior.